It is so good to be with you this evening. And um, it's just such an amazing thing to be able to come together and worship with you tonight. And I'm doubly blessed to be able to preach to you tonight. So I am really excited about being here. And I know, I know you know that I go to the morning service but normally, but part of my story in my relationship with the evening service actually even goes back 25 years. And I'll, I'll tell you a little bit more about that later on as I go through it. So I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes. Can you hear me? Is that all right, Mark? Sound check? 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 Who can hear me? Yeah. 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 All good? All good? Yeah. <laughs> good. Carry on. Carry on. Good. Is that right, Mark? Or yeah? yeah? Yeah. Okay. Good. All right. Let's go. Let's get going. Okay. My name is Ben. Um, I used to be one of the elders here. Now, until recently, I was one of the elders, and then just with the change of governance, now I'm, I'm on the board. So thank you for those that voted for me. Uh, now it's really a very exciting time in the life of our church. So we we have a new constitution. It's sort of actually brought the way that we're governing the church more into line with the way that we've been doing things for a long time. And hopefully, hopefully and prayerfully, we also pray enables the church to be in a position to actually just keep on building upon the good work that God has actually already begun here. That we don't get to a point where we're so bound up with old systems that we can't grow into everything that God wants. And so last week we had a first elders meeting under the new constitution. So that was, that was great. And they, they said goodbye to me and Leona from Verdun. And then on Monday, we had our first board meeting. And I am really excited. Like we've, we have such a great team on the board, uh, such a heart for God. And I'm really looking forward to 2021 and all the things that I believe God has in store for Hills Baptist Church and beyond in the coming year. So we are really, really living in an exciting time in the life of Hills Baptist Church. Now, as a church, morning and evening, we've been tracking through a series called Learning Grace and walking through the book of Colossians and seeing what God has to say to us through the book of Colossians. And it really is an amazing book. Nine weeks ago, I had the opportunity of preaching at the morning service, and that was one of those sermons like it's a free kick, you can preach on whatever God puts on your heart, which is always good. And I really felt at that time when I was given the opportunity to preach, to preach out of uh, to preach basically the gospel and a prayer that we as a church at Hills Baptist Church would be a church that preaches the gospel and that we as a church would be a church where we see the gospel impacting people's lives, transforming their lives and actually seeing the power of the gospel manifest in radical transformation in our midst. And a few weeks ago we were talking about this at Elders and in that meeting, I said, how amazing would it be that if at the end of 2021, that in the next year that we had just even five people who didn't know Jesus before at all, now part of our community of faith, part of our church. And I think, to me, that seems like such a small thing at some level, five people, when you actually look at how many people are out there who desperately need Jesus. But I think it's a start that we would be a church that are constantly looking and praying and seeking and reaching out, that we wouldn't just be the, um, you know, we love Jesus community, it's nice to be together, but that we are a church on mission, that we are a church who uh, have a fire in our belly in what we live for and what we're here for and what we're doing, 
and that we have a very clear vision that even within one year, like we need, but God, un unfold this. Work these things in our lives. Do what you need to do in us to actually bring about this change. And my prayer is that in the coming year and years that we just see more and more people coming to Christ and that at some level it, it will probably get messy when all of a sudden you have people coming into the church that, say, have no church background at all, who all of a sudden have been impacted by the gospel, have seen Jesus for who he is, have bowed their knee to him and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. But then all of a sudden there's a journey of discipleship and change and dealing with the things from their old habits and their old way of life and how we deal with that is really important. So my prayer and my heart for Hills Baptist Church is that we are a church on mission, that we have this burning fire inside of us like the Apostle Paul had and that we see so clearly in reading through the book of Colossians that just ignited him and was the engine of his life that drove everything that he did to preach the gospel and to win more and more people to Christ. And as we've seen in the book of Colossians in the beginning, Paul opens up and he uh, lays out this majestic vision of what he has seen in being a man who was far away from Christ and then being drawn close to Christ and seeing Jesus for who he was and for who he is that he was the one that conquered death, the grave, defeated the enemy and has now risen to power and authority and that we now live with him as our king and as our Lord. You see Jesus as the divine, as God in the flesh. And then Paul begins to unpack that and say, well, because of this, this is what it means for you as a church. These are the teachings that flow out of it. You're no longer bound by the law in order to win righteousness, but now you're given righteousness. And more than that, you're actually given the power to live righteously, that God works a transformed heart in you and reconnects you with God, which is amazing. But then it goes further than that. Because of that connection with God being healed and restored, it actually then changes laterally the way that you interact with other people. And Nick preached about that wonderfully last week in... Colossians chapter 3, where it talks about it'll change the way you do relationships, it'll change the way that you work as an employee, it'll change the way that you work as an employer. It'll transform everything about your life and the way that you interact with other people. And now we're in chapter 4, and that's what we have tonight. And at some level you might say, well, what do you do with chapter 4? It's just Paul saying goodbye to everyone. But, well, greetings, fair, you know, but it's, there's a lot there. And as I read it, I was just really struck with how rich God's word is. So in getting started, I want to show you an image that um, I've come across and I'm not sure how ever many of you have come across. Now, let me see with a show of hands. Put your hand up if you have seen this and weren't at the morning service. So who's seen this? Quite a lot more people have put up their hands tonight than in the morning service, which is actually quite interesting. So... For, what it's, for those who haven't seen it before, what this is, is this a, is a visual representation of all the cross-references in the Bible. And the way that this came about was there was a Lutheran pastor who was looking, all the, looking at all the cross-references in the scripture, and if you've got like a big study Bible, you'll see in the, one of the columns, you'll see the particular verses that this refers to this, another spot in Genesis or whatever, all the way through. And now, when even in a big fact, 
you know, study Bible, those cross-references are really just very limited in terms of how much they're actually telling you in the, the cross-references that are there. And so this Lutheran pastor, he had started this project of trying to, you know, somehow visually represent the connections, the cross-references within Scripture. And so he approached this other clever guy called Christopher. So Chris and Chris, they got together. And the other, Christopher, he's really good with data, data sets, technology, and does some really interesting, innovative stuff. And this is what they came up with. So along the, the bottom axis, what you're seeing there is basically the whole Bible from Genesis to Revelations laid out chapter by chapter. So each of the bars represents a chapter of the Bible. If you look close, it's a little bit hard to see, but you'll see the colouring in those bars changes, sort of grey, white, grey, white. That represents each book of the Bible. And so what they did was they said, well, we're going to make every single spot where there's a reference in a chapter, we'll connect it where there's another cross-reference with another piece of scripture, which is shown by the arc. And the colours are simply, they would have had a, a scale or a, you know, of all the different, you know, different colours. So depending on the proximity, you'd get a different colour. So if it's a long way, you know, Genesis to Revelations, obviously it's some sort of yellowish colour. If it's sort of a close one, you know, within a book or within, I don't know, 10, 15 chapters, pick a number, they would have picked a number, and it's one of these, like, the blue colours, and then everything in between and some sort of spectrum. And what you get is this, this ama amazing visual on just how interconnected God's Word is. So at face value, I don't know, you've probably heard of and heard famous intellectuals who are atheists who do not believe in God and do not like God, and they, you know pish-posh the Bible and say that it was just written by some, you know, uh, you know poorly educated shepherds 2,000 years ago, and why do we need to listen to that now? And having been a Christian now for a few decades, um, the more I read it, the more you see I am only beginning to actually get even any insight into this book, into what it really means. And it's a book that just keeps on giving and giving and giving, and it's, it just blows me away at how wise God is, how good God is, and how God even can sort of see this all together and make these amazing connections that are not obvious at face value. Now, just one, I'm closing with this. Can you see that big spike in the middle? I thought that drew my attention. Now, can, does anyone want to guess, again, if you know the answer to this, don't say, but anyone, can anyone, does anyone want to have, hazard a guess as to which book of the Bible that is? Any, any guesses? Matthew, Matthew? no. Is Matthew in, Matthew in the middle? <laughs> no? Sa Psalms, it is, uh, it is Psalm. Any, anyone going further? Which chapter of Psalms? Very good. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> Was that a guess or did you know? <laughs> but it's amazing. And if you know Psalm 119, it's all about God's word. And it's in the middle, and somehow it's the most cross-referenced chapter in all of Scripture. Isn't God clever? Anyway, <laughs> God, God knows this. So this, this message is about connections. And as we are reconnected to God through the power of the gospel, the connections between us and between others actually become stronger and more powerful and, in fact, are critical to us growing in our faith and being effective in our ministry for God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to come around your word tonight 
And I pray that, Lord, that your word would just go into our hearts and transform us. I pray that there would be seed going and grown, uh, planted in good soil tonight, that it would produce a harvest, and that, Lord God, that you would come and that you would counsel us, speak to every heart, every mind, and come and have your way in this place tonight. Amen. Okay. Now, I'm going to read to you Colossians chapter 4, uh, all the way through. So bear with me. It's a bit of a, it's, it's the whole chapter, more or less but pay close attention. So, starting at verse 2. Devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may, so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may, be, that I may proclaim it clearly as I should, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant of the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onsimius, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Artichus, will sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have re- received instructions about him. If he comes to you, Welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for, of the kingdom, for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Jesus Christ, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those of Laodicea and Heriopolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers of Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, See that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. So there are three things that really stood out to me as I read this chapter and that I want to share with you tonight. Three things to take home. So these are the three things. Being connected to God, being connected to others, and remember my chains. Connected to God, connected to others, and remember my chains. So Paul starts this section off by sort of encouraging people, encouraging the church to be devoted to prayer, being, uh, being watchful and thankful. 
Now, this is good, you know, in terms of how to give, an, in, in what it means is because of the gospel, the relationship with God has been restored and the question is, well, what does that mean in your everyday life? And prayer really is the outworking of that connection with God. And the idea here is when you say devoted, it means don't just say a token prayer from time to time enough to get you over the line to be a Christian. The idea is that in being, the word here for, for, for prayer essentially is making a petition to God. So it's sort of an, an upward motion in direction that it's, it's a, 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 your eyes are upon God. But the word devoted, it, it means that it's almost like in, through the movement of life that you're constantly looking up to God. So the, the first thing you do every morning as you, as you wake up is you begin, you know, God, I give this day to you. I surrender my life to you today. Lord, what would you say to me today? What is your spirit saying to me today? That as you begin to walk through your life in whatever you're doing, whether it's on the bus or your study or um, at school or at work, constantly praying and living out that fellowship and that relationship with God. On the day of Pentecost, God sent the Holy Spirit to be with us, not to be distant up there in heaven, but to be with us and we get to experiencing, experience that every day. And that in our relationships, that we pray together as friends and in church, that prayer becomes just such, such the way that we do things as Christians. And that even at the final thing before we go to bed at night, we, we bow our knee before God and say, God, thank you for this day. You know, I commit this evening into your hands and that in everything that we do, that we are devoted to prayer. And that it's not an afterthought, but it's the first thing that we do. It's part of, as it comes as naturally as breathing, our prayer and our relationship and our walking with God, they all become intermeshed. And it talks about the word being watchful and thankful. And I, lo I looked up this word watchful and effectively, or essentially it's the same word that Jesus used in the Garden of Gethsemane when he was about to face the greatest trial of his life and he asked his disciples, watch and pray. And what did they do? <laughs> they all fell asleep, <laughs> they crashed out, they thought they had better things to do. And so in this, Paul is actually encouraging us to say, it's not always going to be easy to pray. And in fact, there's going to be times when you do not feel like praying, but the best thing you can do is pray. There'll be times when you want to go to bed because you're tired, or in your spirit there might be such a grating about some issue that you feel distant from God or that you've sinned too much. But there's a place for watchfulness, which means the... the the midnight hour at the time of trial when everything seems like it's going against you, be watchful in prayer. Be watchful in prayer. And thankfulness. It is an amazing thing that when you do actually get into a routine or a rhythm of prayer and the, the discipline of thankfulness and being able to always turn your heart to the, the, the things that God has given and it starts with a real revelation of the goodness of God and how even if all things can be going haywire around you that you still have as this foundation the goodness of God and even in these times where there's been so much uncertainty with COVID with all it just seems like we are living at, I'd say it feels like unprecedented times at least in a, a generation or so 
with all the uncertainty that we're experiencing and the fears that that releases in people and the anxieties about, you know, do we need to worry too much about this to the other, I guess you'd say almost extreme where people say this is all made up and this is just sort of a government overreach or a conspiracy and people can get really caught up in all of these things one way or the other and as we learnt in earlier in Colossians that we need to be a people that are not caught up in the fray but that we lift our eyes above all of this and it's really important. I see so many Christians as well that it seems that they've forgotten whose land they are citizens of. And I think it's so important that as a church that we're not just necessarily looking to the left or to the right, but that we're looking up, that we're putting God first, that we're putting Jesus first, King Jesus first, and that we are loving him with all of our heart, mind, soul and strength. And I know that even in my own life, when I've sort of gone through seasons of prayer, that how powerful thankfulness is, like the discipline of thankfulness and actually being deliberate about it and thanking God for the, the blessings that we have. And even in this time, there's amazing, like even in church, you know, when the restrictions close and we're all cramped in here like sardines, you'll be wishing for business class church again, you know. All you need now is like a, you know, a warm, damp... Uh, <laughs> napkin to, you know, with champagne. Would you like champagne, sir? That's all we're missing. We've got the space. Anyway. Um, but just a few things, um, things that I've learned about prayer over the years. So I, my, I mentioned at the beginning my walk with God. So I actually was brought up in a Christian home and then at the age of about 13 went right off the rails, like right off the rails. I was started year eight and then... Um, went through year eight, and then I was actually at Heathfield for two days, the first two Mondays. And then after that, I thought, I'm not going to go to school. <laughs> and no one's going to make me go to school. And I didn't go to school. And people would say, but don't you have to go to school? It's like, you try to stop someone, <laughs> you try to make someone go to school who doesn't want to go to school. It's very hard. And I was really on a, a, a trajectory at that point where really probably going for prison, I was... <laughs> really pushing everything to the absolute extreme in terms of, you know, drugs, just doing everything wrong, you know, and embracing that fully. And it was probably about the age of 15 that Jesus radically changed my life in the midst of that. But even over those few years of going way off the rails, um, I'd accumulated a whole lot of junk in my life, in my, my habits, my behaviours, my thought life, and it was even during that time when God was, I guess, drawing me back to himself. It would have been about 20 years ago that I came here to Allgate Baptist Church and would have come here with my crew, you know, all too cool for school. And we would have sat, I remember sitting somewhere back there, you know, having a service and then probably went outside afterwards, smoked some cones, smoked cigarettes and then argued with the others in the group and said why God exists or why God doesn't exist. And so there's a long connection here with this church. And this church and even this sort of evening service has a really, really long history of being a powerful voice in the Adelaide Hills. It really does. It's really quite profound. And so even in that, there were seeds sown in me. So thank you. you know, even before you were here, there's something happening here that you've, you're part of now. And in the, the, the time that followed when I became a Christian, there was some... There's seasons of prayer that have really just transformed my life. 
and in those early years, I was, you know, really on fire for God and going to church, you know, really regularly once I locked into a really good church. But I remember there was a time when I was going to do a, a course of study at TAFE and then the door closed because there wasn't, there wasn't enough numbers to actually run that course and I had six months off. And I remember my grandma who's uh, passed away now but a, a lovely old Lutheran lady and I remember, it, it's funny how spiritual gifts work because sometimes I think I've seen people operate in spiritual gifts and they probably don't even necessarily you know, have a theology that supports the use of spiritual gifts, if that makes sense. And she came up to me, a little old Lutheran lady, and she said, Ben, and you know, me being a little like 15-year-old punk, God has given you this time to prepare. And I actually really, you know, that spoke to me. It really did. And so I knew that sort of that, that in that season when I didn't have the commitment of study and when it seemed like a door had closed to advancing things, I made the most of it to actually really invest and to sow in that season into my walk with God through reading the scripture, through prayer, you know, every day and even having the, you know, the ability to actually sow hours and hours in, in prayer, even every day, and you actually just enter into this place of just deep friendship and relationship with Jesus. And over the years, my journey as a Christian has, you know, gone through different phases, but I can recall even probably about three years ago, I just, there was this, another strong pull from God to actually enter into another season of prayer. I knew things weren't quite right, and I just could see the promise of prayer, but just found it sometimes habits are so hard to break. And I remember at that time, I was quite determined. I will, a sense of, I will adjust everything in my life in order to, to pray. Because, you know, you get very, very busy in life. And so I remember having to deliberately go to bed very early for the express purpose of getting up very early so I could say, God, I want to spend an hour with you every morning or whatever it was. And it's just amazing how there's been those seasons of prayer where... It feels like they have laid a foundation for almost the season that followed. And at times, it's not like you sort of enter and say, God, I'm going to pray every day for an hour. This is is not about rules or anything like that. But when God draws you, it's not as if all of a sudden, you know, you, you get in the room and you just, heaven opens up above you and, you know, angels start to sing and God starts to speak. But in fact, sometimes it's like the discipline of faith and simply saying, I will do this and I will seek you, God, and I will believe in you. And sometimes you're tired. Sometimes it's the discipline of just following through on those things that you need to do. And then God blesses that. You know, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. And in those seasons, it's almost sometimes in hindsight, you can see that it's been in those seasons of my life where I almost sense that God has done the most and that the scripture has come alive like never before to me and that you begin to just be hearing God more easily and that a lot of the distractions just sort of fade away and go to nothing. God is good. You know, be devoted to prayer. It is so good. And I have this strong sense that as Hills Baptist Church, as we journey together into the future, that God wants to, to lift his church, that if each and every single one of us just said, God, I want to go into a deeper place of prayer with you, I want to hear your voice, I want to flow in that place where you want me to be, 
I think that's where God's leading us as a people. You know, God needs to do something in us first before he can do something through us, through our community. And God, part of that is that preparation of devotion to prayer. The second thing that I wanted to share with you was about being connected to others. And a big chunk of this chapter is Paul calling people out, you know, hi to, to Luke and to all these other difficult-to-pronounce Greek names where he knows them. And at some level you could say, well, Paul Paul is the, the super-apostle. He is the one that sort of has had this unique call from among, among all the apostles. He is the one that sort of spent three years in Arabia getting direct revelation from Jesus Christ about the gospel and the coming kingdom. And then out of that, he was completely fired up to serve God for the rest of his life, whatever the cost. And he could have said, well, I am, I am the man. You know, <laughs> Here I am. I have this ministry from God. I can do it alone. But in fact, Paul knew he, he, he could not do it alone. He did not do it alone. And he had this deep revelation of the body of Christ. And so through this, as we track through Colossians, we see initially the revelations that Paul had, then the teachings that flow from that in terms of what it means for the church. Then he gives some, gives some practical instructions in terms of our relationships. But in this later part of the final greetings, we're actually getting this window into how Paul actually operated. And what we see is this man who is deeply connected, who has, he's not just a sole operator, but he's surrounded by a team of people that share the same vision, the same mission, uh, fired up by the things that, are fire, that fire him up, people that he trusts, people that encourage him. And so it is for all of us. None of us lives in a vacuum. All of us are being called, as we're called to Christ, to also be part of his church and to be connected to other people. Each of us has been given a ministry from Christ that came when Christ called us, but to fulfill that ministry, you're not going to do it alone. You cannot do it alone. It is impossible for you to do it alone. You need other people. You need relationships. You need these connections that start going everywhere that God fosters and God's put, God puts together. I think... Um, in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, Paul also writes, he says, now to, in, to, in the context of spiritual gifts and the body of Christ, he says, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. With your calling to Christ comes gifts. And those gifts are given to you there's something that you have that you only can give to be a blessing to other people. And part of that is it will manifest itself for the common good, to be a blessing to others, to build each other and up, other up. And as we come out of that place of prayer and actually start to see each other, as Christ sees them, we're able to encourage other, strengthen each other, bless each other, and build each other up. The last thing I want to draw your attention to is the, the final verse in this chapter where Paul says this simply, these three words, remember my chains. 
And I think, imagine what, I don't know the circumstances of how Paul ended up in prison. I, you could speculate whether it was sort of, you know, did the, did the Roman soldiers come and arrest him at a house or was he in the public square in an uproar? But whatever it was, you can imagine this man who had this passion, he had these plans, he had these desires, he had these relationships, these things that he was doing in his ministry, and then all of a sudden he feels himself, he, he's, he's chained, he's dragged away and put in prison. And you could say, well, Paul, in that time you had every reason to become bitter, frustrated, angry, to make excuses as to why you can no longer do the things that God has called you to do. And the reality is all of us have chains of some sort. All of us are in some sort of prison. All of us have some reason or some could give some reason why we cannot do what God has called us to do. I'm not smart enough. I'm not tall enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not handsome enough. You know, I don't have enough education. I have too little education. But the reality is that when we're connected to the vine, God will make us fruitful. And we see here that Paul, in that prison... As you read through this whole book, remember, this was written in prison. And he's, he's, it's almost like, remember my chains. But his focus is on Christ. His focus and his attention is completely directed towards building up the church. And, so, and, and even 2,000 years later, in, a little, in the Adelaide Hills, in a little church, on the other side of the world, Paul is still bearing fruit fruit that lasts. And I pray that each and every single one of us, whatever our circumstances, whatever our perceived reason for not doing what we think God has called us to do, that those things would find their rightful place in terms of God will make you fruitful in the prison. God will make you fruitful with chains. God will make you fruitful in circumstances that you think uh, completely against, that seem like a barrier or a roadblock or something that's completely against what you think God has called you to do. Paul felt called to the ends of the Roman Empire to preach the gospel and here he was confined into a cell, his movement taken away, but he had the pen, he had the power of the Holy Spirit and God made him fruitful. Now, in bringing this to a close, I want to share a story with you. Now, in my third year of university, and I might get Jordan to make his way up and make us feel like we're wrapping it up, but we'll just soldier on. Uh, <laughs> um, in the third, my third year of university, I had the honour and the privilege of being able to study in the United States, and I was at the University of San Diego, Southern California, and I had a great year. And in the summer holidays, so the middle of the year for them, I was able to have had a van and I travelled around uh, the United States. And during that time, I had, was able to visit uh, Yosemite National Park and also the Redwood National Park. And there, you actually see some enormous trees. And I saw trees like this. And particularly, Yosemite is amazing. It's just a mind-blowingly beautiful place. And they'd have you know, enormous sequoia trees. And then the National Redwood, Redwood National Park, which is in Northern California, just walking through this forest, and it's like, it is like surreal. You feel like you're on another planet because you're walking through this forest and there, there's these enormous trees that just, the, the top almost disappears out of view and it, there's something awe-inspiring about it. Now, 
you think, that's a pretty amazing tree. But I'll tell you, there's an even bigger tree than these. And the biggest tree in the world is actually this. So this is actually a grove of trees in North America as well. And this tree, what makes it the biggest living tree in the world is that this is all actually a single tree. But it's connected by the roots below the surface. And they, the roots are actually connected. They share a common root system. And the, the grove of trees covers about over 100 acres. It's enormous. And if you were to sort of compare the mass of these trees, it's probably over 6,000 tonnes. So you think, what is greater? You know, the one tree that stands alone, you know, a giant among the others? Or is it the grove of trees that has the common root system that draws life from the same source? And I think the better analogy for the church is not the mighty redwood or the sequoia, but it's the grove. We all share a common root system, the Holy Spirit. You know, you might say, you know, what does Steve have to do with Nick? And we could just point around this room and say, well, what do you have to do? And we'd go even further. We could say, think about another church. What do we have to do with them? Or what do we, and, and, and go further with all these networks and these relationships of the kingdom of God and what God is doing. And the reality is we share a common root system, the Holy Spirit working in all of us, building the kingdom. You are part of a much bigger thing. And I want to encourage you in closing to be a people of prayer, devoted to prayer, that in your connections, that you're really deliberate, that you know that your ministry, your life is not one of isolation. We live in a culture with a strong undercurrent of individualism that you would probably, all of us, feel it and not necessarily be aware of it. But in the kingdom of God, you are not just an individual. You find your identity in the body of Christ. If you were to think that, you know, well, I'm just an ear, and if you could sort of take that analogy through, the body of Christ finds its meaning and its purpose when it's together. You know, if you actually see a body with body parts scattered all over the place, that's called a crime scene, you know, <laughs> and it doesn't work. But we find our meaning when we're together, connected to it together. So I'd encourage you, you know, build those relationships, be deliberate about them. So this is, this is a practical thing. You know, have coffees with people, you know, build relationships, have lunches, you know, reach out to other people beyond social media. Love people and see those connections and, as, and pray that God blesses those connections in your life. And I'll ask you to all stand now and close in prayer. But some of you as well, you have chains in your life, things that, you know, you, you think, I would serve you, God, but, and then have, a, you know, things that are holding you back. And I pray that those chains, those excuses tonight, it won't be that the chains just suddenly disappear, but they'll find their rightful place and that you'll know fruitfulness despite the chains, despite the prison, and that God blesses you and makes you fruitful and gives you fruit that lasts in whatever your circumstances. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you and as a church, we lay our lives before you. We pray that, Lord God, that you would stir in our hearts 
a hunger and a thirst for righteousness, a hunger and a thirst for you. I pray that, Lord God, that you'd make us a connected people that, that love other people and that love being with other people and that nurture and develop all those connections, Lord. And I pray that tonight, that, Lord, that you would use us despite whatever impediment we might have or perceive that we have. And that, Lord, with the chains that we have on our wrists and in our feet, that, Lord God, that you would make us fruitful. So, Lord Jesus, we give you praise, we give you honour, and we lift your name up above every other name. And everybody said, Amen. Thank you. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.